We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good, Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome in to another BuzzBeat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and we are back with another episode uh, on this episode, we're going to get into some of your questions from Twitter. Uh, before we get started, we wanted to remind you guys that we'd really appreciate uh, if you guys can take the 30 seconds out of your day and rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcast. Uh, we've actually received some pretty good ones over the past couple of days. Uh, I'll, I'll stop bugging you guys when we get to a 100. I think we're like at 95 or 96 uh, reviews so far. So with that out of the way, BG, uh, how's everything going with you? How was your uh, mountain trip? Mountain trip was good. Uh, I feel refreshed a little bit. Uh, got some hikes in, which was always nice. Um, and really, you know, that'll be the one little mini trip that I get to do this year. Um, still felt a little weird to be doing that, even though, you know, it was small group and stuff. Still felt a little weird to be on the road uh, amidst the pandemic. And uh, not something I'm looking forward to, to jumping out and doing again. But no, that, that trip felt good. And um Ready to just, yeah, I guess uh, get through election day here and then uh, move over to uh, to basketball season, hopefully soon. Yeah, you wonder when we're going to hear the result of this election because with all those mail-in ballots, like I, I don't think we're going to know the results, like yeah. the, the definite results of it. Um, there might be some projections or whatever. Um, but Spencer, how's everything with you? Good. Yeah, everything's good. Um, today's one of the more tired days in the new <laughs> life with, with the kid at home. He's actually crying in the background right now. You might be able to hear that. I think that. I might've heard that. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so today I'm a little bit more tired, um, but can't complain ready for uh, certainly ready for the draft and ready for free agency and yeah. whatever this, uh, <laughs> whatever this next NBA season is going to look like. Uh, to be honest with you, I would just like to w- wake up one morning and know what anything was really like be be one hundred percent certain about what something's going to look like because there there's yeah. not a whole lot of that around right now. No, it, the, the lack of certainty with everything is um man, it's, it's exhausting. Stressful. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. All right, so let's jump into the Twitter questions. Uh, we have a handful here, so we're going to first start from a question sent in from at e underscore tb fifteen. He throws out several players here. What role would Edwards, Ball, and Wiseman have in the Hornets rotation? Um, we can include other players if we would like, or we could just stick to these three and kind of how they would fit in with the scheme that the Hornets run and you know how, how would they fit in with the other players around them. So I, I think we should just first start with Edwards and just go from there. I, I think if you are drafting Anthony Edwards and he's right there at three, you're hoping that he becomes your 
starting two guard or maybe even your starting three. Uh, with Rozier, though, on this roster, there's probably a little bit of a hurdle, um, especially next season more so than anything. Um, so right away, uh, in terms of his fit and his role on the team, it, it could get a little tricky with Rozier unless they feel like Rozier is a tradable asset and they can trade him uh, this offseason. I'm not really sure you know, we're hearing those types of things, but yeah, that that's the type of role that you would want Edwards with. I think that he will get heavy minutes regardless if he is starting or not and could be featured in some late game situations, even with Rozier and Graham on the court together. So uh, I think it'd be interesting to see how Edwards fits in with the guard rotation, because as we know, Hornets are guard heavy and they're looking for a big man. So fitting him in there minutes wise, uh, it, it will get interesting, but um I think Edwards can play off ball, but clearly his strengths and his preference is to have the offense run through him. And I, I would really love to see him on this team in the sense that one of his biggest downfalls at Georgia was his shot selection and just kind of being a little bit too ISO heavy. I'm very intrigued how him and Borrego would pair together because Borrego has been known, you know, as this player development coach, and this might be his biggest test yet in terms of developing Anthony Edwards. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on, on Anthony Edwards and how he can fit within this roster? Yeah, I think, I mean, given how gifted and, and athletic Anthony Edwards is, it, one one can, can guess that the game has probably come pretty easy to him uh, growing up. And it, even though he was dominant at times at Georgia, there were plenty of ugly moments and ugly games too. So it'll be interesting to see even as the competition jumps that around him, if Anthony Edwards can finally for the first time in his life, play for a coach and for a, for an organization that's going to make the game just easier for him, you know, going to put him in some better positions to succeed on both ends of the court. And I even think in some of those three guard lineups that you were throwing out, mm-hmm. uh, Richie, if he were on Charlotte's roster, yeah, you could even see, you know, you can mix and match plenty with, with Monk and with Edwards and with Devonte Graham, et cetera. Um, and I actually think it's not a bad fit on this roster, you know, start with DG or sit and bring off the bench with Malik, um, give him some primary possessions, but mostly let him get cooking in a secondary creation role, swing or second side, pick and roll, attacking off advantage, uh, pushing tempo and transition. I, I kind of think inverted uh, pick and roll with PJ is kind of interesting too. I, I know that Anthony Edwards is not a great movement shooter at this point, and maybe he'll never get there. You know, he's a guy that's far more comfortable catching the ball and putting it on the court and shooting off the bounce. But even then, you can let him get into some advantage situations by by putting him in two-man combos with P.J. Um, I think pick and roll with Anthony Edwards on the basketball and using Devontae Graham or Terry Rozier or even Malik Monk as the those little ghost screen sets that Charlotte mm-hmm. likes to run so much where – all of a sudden you give Anthony Edwards a primary possession handle the ball, but the read is simple, right? It's either throw it to the guy on the slip or attack downhill one-on-one if you if you got a little bit of, uh, of a gap there. Um, I think the one play, and this is something that uh, Half Court Hoops highlighted on Twitter the other week, but we've talked about it plenty, um, diagrammed it on Twitter before as well. Richie, I know you did a breakdown on it two seasons ago, but the delay 45 play, that's the Malik Bunk, Nick Batum play where uh, – Batum catches the, you know, gets a little DHO pick and roll coming out of the corner. Uh, Malik uh, cuts back door on the on the weak side of the court. Anthony Edwards showed something as an off ball cutter. So that's something I think you could you could put the ball. Uh, you know, Batum's still on this roster. I don't think he's going to play much this year. But that's something you could let Malik Monk or Cody Martin be the be the be the passer in that possession, which they've they've both have had their their odd their chances doing that. And you let Anthony Edwards work as an off ball cutter. You get him some open looks and, and some high percentage looks at the rim by doing that. And then I think defensively, look, he's going to take his lumps. Um, teams are going to target him. He has the chance to be a good on ball defender off the basketball. Um, there's a ways to go from a, from a feel. And attention to just an attention to detail perspective, um, but just trying as best as you can to build and improve that aspect. And because uh, like it's it, it nurture it because it's going to be it's going to be tough at times this season. Um, but so just finding ways to, to to better that. But I think there are some some really no brainer ways with stuff that Charlotte already does that you can just copy and paste Anthony Edwards into and and let's just let him show his skills. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well put. I mean, I, I think Edwards, you know, he certainly showed some things off the ball as a cutter at Georgia. 
Um, obviously, he had the ball in his hands a lot at Georgia, mm-hmm. but you know he, he showed some ability to be explosive at the rim, which we already know. Um, you know, as a cutter along the baseline, and Charlotte already has you know quite a few of those actions in the playbook. To Brian's point. Um, that you could slide him right into. I think more interestingly, it's just you know who does he fit um, best next to. You know, I think I think it can be hard maybe at the end of the game, but it, it can be hard to have him, Rozier, and Devonte on the floor together. I mean, those are three guys that um, need the ball. Uh, we certainly saw Rozier become a better off the ball player. I think last season uh, with Devonte Graham, but. Uh, you, you know, Edwards is going to succeed in the league as a primary creator or as a secondary creator. It, it's hard to see him uh, succeeding, making it long term if he's going to be anything else other than that. Because I just don't, I don't uh, project him to be a, a lockdown defender. I, have, I think he has the potential to be. You know, he's he's six, maybe five and a half. You know, over two hundred twenty pounds. I mean, he's he's certainly got the physical profile to be, but he, he showed nothing. Uh, at Georgia to us in terms of a consistent motor that would suggest he's going to be a defense first guy. So um, with the way that this roster is constructed right now, uh, Richie, uh, to your point, you know, it, it does get a little interesting uh, mm-hmm. where he would fit. You know, it's just there's a minutes allocation issue. Um, but I do think that, you know, depending on how it works out, Borrego would at least have with Edward's size, with it, with his physicality, would at least be able to experiment with, with Devontae Rosier um, and Edwards out there together. But I don't I don't foresee that working for long periods of time. So it would be a challenge, to be sure. Yeah, it'd be weird sending Rosier to the bench. Like, I mean, and it also would be weird drafting someone third overall and not starting him. So, like, when people pose that question, where yeah. would he fit in minutes-wise, like, I, I want to say starting, but then again, where does he fit in? I, I feel like he would almost have to earn his minutes from the bench. And... To your point, Spencer, about maybe not having those three guards play consistent minutes together, what is interesting, and maybe my memory is wrong here, and maybe you guys can correct me, I feel like Borrego actually favored his starting lineup in crunch time. Um, So you wonder if he'll tinker too much with lineups in those last five minutes or so. I I could be wrong about that. The the only time, I think you're right, Richie, there were a couple, and I think these, these were situational more than anything, where if there was sort of a lineup that got a lineup that had bench players that got them back into the yes. game, I felt like Bismack was in all of these, mm-hmm. um, and just Bismack was bringing great energy, and you know PJ was was on the bench or whatever. That like JB would just ride with that lineup and, and just play you know the entire final eight minutes of the game or whatever ten minutes of the game playing that that five six man rotation, even if it was keeping arguably Charlotte's best or second best player on the bench. Or when they, the only other thing I can really think of is when they downsized, you know, the few times put PJ yeah. out there five to end games, you know, and, and I do think that depending on matchups, uh, if Edwards buys in defensively, I don't think it's crazy to have them, him out there as a small ball power forward in the right situation, maybe to end the game. I mean, the guy doesn't have the height, but he definitely has, again, uh, the physical profile to, to stand up against power forwards, especially small ball. Um, smaller lineup power forward. So there, there are some small ball lineups in theory. Now that we're just sort of exploring some of these permutations of like, if you do, if you've got Edwards bridges, PJ at three, four, five, again, in theory, I don't know. You just got like guys that are just like thick and strong in the chest, which is kind of interesting. Like you're, you're not the, you're not the longest, but you, you know, lineup, but it is already a small ball group. It just, I don't know. It, it would create a, it would create, they would be athletic and they would be thick, which I think yeah. is like uh kind of interesting. It is something that, um, that I, that I actually, you just look at around the league scans around and it's, it's something that the, the Rockets used a lot. I think really the last couple of seasons when they played small and put someone like PJ Tucker at center and, and surrounded him with, uh, with other just sort of like thick, strong Eric Gordon type, you know, wings and stuff. You know, I do think it's we're having this conversation about smaller lineups and 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 you know Devonte and Rozier and your theoretical other player pairing together. You know, it seems like on paper a guy like Ball would fit uh, more seamlessly um, with Rozier and DG. But the more I think about it, I'm not I'm not sure that that's the case because I think Edwards can offer more off the ball in theory 
understand there are a lot of warts there and it, and it probably doesn't work out that way. But in theory, he might be able to offer more off the ball, certainly as a cutter uh, and as an offensive rebounder than maybe a guy like Ball has. Like, what is what is Lonzo Ball doing? Or excuse me, not Lonzo Ball, LaMelo Ball doing if he doesn't have the ball in his hands? And that's been a question I've asked about him for a while. Yeah. And if he's out there with, with Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, to me, that's probably clunkier than it might seem when you first start to think about it. Um, I understand the Hornets can be trying to probably lose a lot of games next year, but I also don't think James Borrego would be with all the success that Devontae Graham showed us off the bounce last year, shooting the basketball. How willing would he be to just take that out of take the ball out of Devontae's hands and put it in a guy like Lamella Balls? Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I think there would be some diminishing returns, obviously. And perhaps even some spacing issues, especially if, you I mean, I think LaMelo is going to come on and be like a pretty good NBA three-point shooter, but, you know, may not be there, certainly from a spot-up capacity next season. Although I just, it is worth pointing out, like, DG was so overtaxed last season from a playmaking perspective. Mm-hmm. So there's some minute staggering stuff you can do and having an, uh, you know, having an extra ball handler on the court would would really go a long way one of the other things i would say just if we're just looking at uh lamello versus anthony edwards or whatever is i don't know man i'm just i i think lamella ball has great feel great basketball iq mm-hmm. um and is a great passer so i think you can from a from a ball movement perspective from a from a from a having another guy that can go out there and connect possessions that can late in the clock, make something happen, make a create, generate a shot for a teammate. Um, I, I think that ultimately makes the offensive fit a little bit better, just strictly by the fact that you've got two great passers and two guys that can create shots for other guys. Um, the concerns with the mellow and, and DG together as a pairing is as sort of how we got on this conversation in ours that like, yeah, there would be, they're not the cleanest fit and there'd be some diminishing returns because of that. And then of course, defensively, um, you know, how would you, you know, I, I think LaMelo has an okay, as like an okay team defender. Um, and he's, you know, six, seven, six, eight or whatever, but Devontae Graham and LaMelo ball as a defensive backcourt, uh, is going to get, you know, that's going to get shredded. Yeah. Before I give my input on LaMelo and his role in this team, let's take a quick break. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all their great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so yeah, 
in terms of LaMelo Ball's role on this team, I, I agree with you guys. I think there are some advantages with him versus Edwards, but my personal opinion, I, I think it actually is a little bit trickier in terms of fitting him in with, with this roster. I think it's pretty well known that he has to play with the ball in his hands to be effective. He's, you know, he's, he's the most effective with the ball in his hands. I, I think there's no question about that. So him playing off ball, it's hard to see a real role with this team. And, you know, to Brian's point, you have to love his passing IQ, his ability to play out of the pick and roll, his his shiftiness. But coming into this roster on on Charlotte's team with Devontae being your most impressive player from last year, you do wonder how they're going to fit together because you don't necessarily want to draft on fit. We, we've had this conversation before, and, and Mitch Kupchak has also stated that that's not what he is doing. But... If you are drafting LaMelo Ball and he happens to be there at three, you also don't want him to diminish or stagnate your best player by messing with his role. So there are times where Devontae plays well off ball, but I would hate for that to be like a permanent thing. You know what I mean? So I, I can see a world where they fit together, but to me it's not as clear as Anthony Edwards. And Ball would certainly have to get better off the ball so he and Devontae could be more interchangeable and give the defense something to look at a little bit different. So I think that LaMelo Ball loses some of his effectiveness if you just take the ball out of his hand. So that's well, that's where I yeah. see the issue. And I, I would say LaMelo, to, what LaMelo really gives you, to me, more clearly than anything else, is the ability to play faster at day one. Um, he's such a good defensive rebounder, and that's something that's probably not talked about enough with him. But, you know, that that part of his game makes every other player on the floor better right on his team in, in theory. So BG, I want to ask you a quick question though. You said a minute ago, so you think Lamelo's is going to come into the league as a pretty good shooter. That surprised me. No, 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 not, not, no, no, no. I think eventually he'll oh, okay. be you. a pretty good you. shooter. Okay. Yeah. I think eventually he'll settle in as like a mid thirties pull up three point shooter. Okay. And that's right. going to allow him. No, no, no. I, I think there's going to be, <laughs> it's going to take some time. Um, <laughs> I misunderstood yeah. you. I was like, really? Okay. No, 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 no. I, I, I was trying, if I, if I misspoke, I, I apologize. Apologies. I think eventually, yes, he will become a pretty good pull-up three-point shooter. Um, I'm not betting betting on that next season. And yeah, I mean, we'll have to see about the the spot up jumper. But yeah, I'm and ultimately this gets back to to a point I was I was gonna try to bring up here, which is that like you're not just drafting Lamelo for next season and how the fit is. And 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 you know that, and everyone listens listening to the pod knows this too, but like you'd be drafting him for the next 12 seasons, the next 15 seasons. And ultimately the goal would be and who knows if you could actually thread this line, but the goal would ultimately be, well, if, if LaMelo and Devontae Graham aren't the best fit, but we got Devontae on this extension, he's here for the next four to five years, et cetera, then the goal would ultimately be, well, can we transition Devontae Graham to being a kick-ass six-man gunner? And that, you know, sometimes that you're going to close a game with LaMelo and Devontae out there, but for the most part, you're going to try to stagger their minutes and, and let Devontae just pop, prop up a second unit and be just a total flamethrower for, and that's yeah. like, ultimately that's like would almost be the best role for Devonte Graham. Um, Regardless if you draft ball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, cause eventually we talk about this, we talk about this all the time on this pod, like Devonte Graham is great. He had an awesome season. He alone basically kept Charlotte from having the worst offense in the NBA. And they were pretty good when he, when he played and he's a guy that can't, can't score from like inside the three point line. Like that's how good he is actually. Yeah. But, um, but we all realize like ultimately this, this team's got to get a primary creator like that. Like the, the way this team raises its floor and ceiling simultaneously is that you get an A1 primary creator that has, you know, all-star potential. And the best way for Charlotte to do that is to draft high in the, the first round. The, the last point I wanted to make about LaMelo real quick, Richie, sorry. Um, you know, he is, I think like Wiseman and Edwards as well, but, but more LaMelo for a lot of obvious reasons for a small market like Charlotte, he, he's he can help, he's going to help you financially. He's going to, I mean, you're not going to be able to sell tickets next season, but he'll certainly sell tickets 21, 22. Yeah. You're going to sell more jerseys with him. You're like that. I, I just say it because it does matter for a small market like Charlotte and the NBA is trying to find ways to get more money to those teams now because of how, how much financial hardship there is. So sorry, Richie, jump in. I just want to say that. No, I, I just think we should transition to Wiseman now and see kind of how he fits with this Hornets yeah. roster. Um, obviously an athletic, mobile, physical athlete at the center position. 
I think that if the Hornets draft him at three, again, if he's there, uh, they are doing so knowing his limitations as a big. His shot, you know, I think it's it's hard to kind of actually gauge only having three games, I think, at Memphis to kind of look at. But his role is going to be very defined with this Hornets roster in terms of just being a lob threat rim runner. And then on the defensive side, he'll add something to Charlotte that they really haven't had in a while. Uh, rim protection. So I, I think you're going to get that on the on the defensive side. So in terms of the biggest need or fit, he might he he fills the need more so than Edwards or Ball. But whether or not you view this guy as the third overall pick is a kind of a different question altogether. And then one other kind of thought that I want to throw out to you guys when it comes to Wiseman uh, is is defending out in space. Um, he tries to slide with the guards out there, but he just doesn't have the lateral quickness, in my view, to kind of stay with those smaller guys. And do you guys have any thoughts on, you know, we, we saw this with Dwight Howard, but like the Hornets being a little bit more conservative with their pick and roll coverage and using a drop coverage. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the drop coverage, but it just kind of limits you versatility wise if that's what you have to do every single time. And there's definitely some drawbacks if if you have or if you're going up against a guard that can pull up from threes or or maybe are good in the mid range. I just that's what I wonder about him on the defensive side. You want the option to be more versatile in your pick and roll coverages. And I think with him uh, teams are going to pick up on the fact that that's what he's going to have to do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't see, I mean, we don't have anything to go off of here, but I, right. I really find it hard to believe that he's ever going to be a center who's switching onto smaller guards and keeping them in front, who's playing, you know, who's blitzing a ball screen, who's stepping out high, getting right or left foot high. I, he's just not that kind of guy. He's going to have to play dot, drop coverage, and that probably – Certainly plays to his strengths. I um, the most interesting thing for with Wiseman for me is that I think if he goes to a place like Charlotte or he goes to a place like I mean I don't think he's, Minnesota's going to take him, but to another team that's you know a Detroit or somebody that has little identity of, of exactly who they are and you know who just throws him out there at center and expects him to to start cleaning it up at the rim. I don't. I really think that's an awful situation for him because I think that I think that Wiseman doesn't understand what makes him a very impactful basketball player. Yeah, and those are the reports going back, you know, well into high school with him. I mean, he wants to be a scorer, right? Like he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to be a low post threat. Um, you know, we've seen his ability to face up a little bit and shoot it and step out. Like these are the things he wants to do. He needs a team and a system that makes him understand what his strengths are. And that is dropping, protecting the rim, playing with his hands up, improving his footwork. And then the offensive ends being a really good screen setter, sprinting to the rim and catching and dunking. I mean like that in running in transition. That's why I think Golden State is so intriguing of a spot for him because they will make him understand that. And then they'll flip him for a lot of good stuff. So I, I, he, he just got, he he terrifies me as a prospect for Charlotte. He really does. Yeah. I mean, I've, I I think we've all made our, our overall sort of stances on Wiseman well-known. I don't think anyone on here thinks James Wiseman is, you know, a a bust or won't play in the NBA. Like I I think he's going to play in the NBA and be a starter for a long time. Um, My, concerns come with some of his uh, limitations um, and, and how and what that will do towards roster construction around him and how it sort of may box him in as a player. Um, and, and, and that becomes problematic if you invest a, you know, a number three pick in him or whatever, but defensively, like I, hell, if I draft him three, I'd be asking him to do a, a shitload for me because buddy, if we're drafting a center in the top five, you better be able to do a lot like period. So I'd ask for a variety of pick and roll coverages, mostly in some form of drop capacity. Um, you know, he showed some switch potential, but at Memphis, but like I, I wouldn't. I mean, spent to Spencer's point, like I'm not. I wouldn't be banking on that right now. But at least he, there is some film that says, yeah, on you know some possessions at some high pick and roll possessions at Memphis. Yes, James Wiseman was able to switch onto guys a foot shorter than him or whatever. Um, I would keep a, an eye on his initial positioning. Um, you know, pre-screen work in these ball screens actions is vital. It's something I thought he really struggled in at, at, at Memphis. Maybe not as bad as someone like Daniel Toro 
at uh, Minnesota, but that like by just being in better position at the time of the screen will like go a long way for him. Um, in my opinion um, on deep drops, you know, can he find that middle ground between containing the ball handler guarding against the floater and, and also being like in two spots at one time to protect against the lob. I mean, like, you know, James Wiseman's not Anthony Davis. This is something that Anthony Davis is like, a god at and he basically blew up Miami's offense in the finals by his ability to do this but sort of like what's his baseline competency here and how high can he play against ball screens um I mean we've seen Charlotte try different stuff over multiple coaching staffs with Cody Zeller as a pick and roll defender he's mobile he's quick but like yeah how can reactive can he be further away from the basket without fouling um, we'll see. Um, but if you draft him this high, you're banking on his ability to be able to be pretty aggressive, uh, even as a, even as a drop guy, you know, in, in some of these ball screen actions, as far as Wiseman goes, like where he fits on the roster, like my guess is if you draft him, you take those 48 minutes per game at center and you split them up, you take 40 of those 48 and you say half of these are going to Cody Zeller, half of them are going to James Wiseman, and the other portion goes to PJ as a small ball five. Maybe he starts, maybe he comes off the bench. By season ends, by the end of the season, though, like he's the starting center. Whether you trade Zeller, you buy Cody mm-hmm. Zeller out, or just James Wiseman's, you've, you're transitioning to the future, and Wiseman has usurped him um, in the rotation. Offensively, using the screen roll as much as possible. I mean, is he really ready to be a lob threat? Um, because, again, that's what you're – that's that's right now that's his best asset offensively outside of just like a straight line speed um and transition i play him with Devonte as much as possible pick and roll especially but also get him out in transition you know he's a great rim to rim runner and Devonte grant's pretty good uh, with hit ahead passes um can you use him in pick and pop can he be of a spot up spacer so that when you pair him with pj and you want to run pick and roll with Devonte and pj you know you don't just have another guy chilling in the dunker spot on the baseline that was an issue for charlotte this season with with guys like bismack um, so yeah, I, I mean, how versatile is he offensively? Can he step out and hit a three? Yeah. Versatility is a big word when it comes to Wiseman, but to your point, Brian, uh, if you draft him at number three, uh, you are going to ask a lot out of him, especially with it comes with the pick and roll coverage. And it's not just the same thing over and over again. So let's go to question number two. And we kind of touched upon this, uh, on our previous question here at Patrick Connor seven, Sends in the question, if the Hornets draft Ball, Edwards, or Hayes, so a guard wing, who goes to the bench? And like I said on the previous question, to me, I guess a lot depends on if Rozier is still on this team, which all indications say that he is. I would almost put Edwards on the bench. I don't know why. I just just feel like, you know, he's got to earn his minutes. Uh, Maybe Rozier's value has gone up after a strong season with with the Hornets or, you know, a relatively strong season with the Hornets. But I, I, it's, a, it's a tough question. It's a tough question. Spencer, what are your thoughts on this in terms of wh- who goes to the bench? Because I don't think you're going to be starting Devontae, Edwards, and Rozier together. Uh, yeah, no, no. I'd, yeah, yeah, I would be surprised if they all started together. I mean, I, I probably agree with you. I, pro- I think Edwards probably is the one that has to go to the bench, probably the one with the most to prove. Um, but, you know, like, you think about Hornets fans' history and their experience with this, I mean – you can look back on Malik Monk's career mm-hmm. and you can make the argument that he should have seen more minutes early, you know, and Steve Clifford certainly yep. made him earn it. And I'm not sure everyone agree would agree uh, that that was the best thing for Malik Monk. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the way Clifford did it. I understand why he did. I would support that, but I'm not sure everyone would. So I, I think Hayes is a great fit. You know, I think Killian Hayes and, and Devonte Graham and, and Terry Rozier now defensively, it, it gets a little confusing, but I mean, I, I love Hayes off the ball in, in more ways than one. So I, I think that, you know, maybe it's hard to justify they could all start together, but I think they can play like a lot, like 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes together a night. I think you're right, Richie. I think Edwards has to start on the bench and kind of earn his way, prove some stuff because there, there are so many things from, you know, a, a motor consistency perspective that he did not prove with his college film that I think any coach in the NBA would say, look at like, I understand that I'm running a team that's in the middle of a rebuild, but you're going to have to prove yeah. some stuff. I mean, if they draft so LaMelo, right. it's like hard to see him coming off the bench in some way, shape or form, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it just for, I agree. for so I many agree. reasons it is. It's sort of interesting. Like PJ started from day one last season and that required the moving Marvin, you know, the, one of the, the, one of the longstanding veterans and leaders on the team to the bench. And Marvin 
welcomed that with open arms. And, but that was sort of different because like, you know, Marvin is a, a great guy and a team first player and not trying to speak out against anyone else. I'm just saying like, he definitely is that. So of course it was going to work with him. And PJ was, you know, a little older too. He's two years at Kentucky he was coming in. He was, re- he was clearly ready to roll. That was obvious. You didn't have to like, by the, by the end of the first quarter of the first game against Chicago it was obvious. Like, yes, you should be starting PJ Harris, PJ, uh, PJ Washington. Pardon well, me. and quickly BG, I mean, like looking back in training camp, there was like he was he was super impressive in training camp. Of course, yes. none of us saw that, but it was like we kind of knew something was cooking with him yeah. before that Chicago game, even so. One hundred percent. But ultimately, like no matter what, you know, if they pick Hayes, that would be great, or Baller, or Ant Edwards. Like all of those would be, I think, pretty good picks. Um, now I just like to see that person play as much as possible with PJ Miles, Devonte Graham, Cody Martin, Malik Monk, um, starting or coming off the bench. Like I, I almost don't care. Like those lineups will be accessed and really that's what what matters to me you know yeah I think he will get heavy minutes regardless of who the pick is but it's just hard to see with that guard position with Terry Rozier making what 19 million dollars a year coming off yeah, the bench. he he he's the most expensive player on the roster I mean not not for me Nick Batum next season but in terms of guaranteed dollars Terry Rozier is the high dollar man on on the short on the on the books for the Hornets and in the and the Hornets have more work to do with getting him on the floor. Like I know that depending on who we pick, it's easy to say, look, Terry needs less minutes. We got to get this kid out there. But there are plenty of people talking about Terry already being a tradable, uh, like probably not a, even a neutral asset, but he brings enough things to the table that playoff teams need that it's not crazy to think that somebody would trade with a year left on that deal, especially next summer with everything that's in the air to get a guy that can shoot the ball, you know, at a 40% clip and, yeah. and, and play some defense, play with the ball in his hands, play with it off the ball. So, like, the Hornets still have to get him on the floor. I just want to make that point. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I will say, like, at Rozier, I mean, he shot the hell out of the ball this season and, and really proved to be a pretty good movement shooter and a guy that you could run off screens and and run off little little flares and slips and stuff. I think everything else is like pretty bad, but he's at least will try to play with the ball in his hands. I don't know if he'll do much good with it, but that shooting is enough because mm-hmm. if he I mean, if he shoots at the, the same clip or close to it again this season, like yeah, that it, while he might be bad at most everything else, he's he look this season he was really good at like the single most important secondary skill you can have in basketball, right? Being able to shoot from three. Um, including off movement. Agreed, agreed. At least in the slightest, his perception has probably been upped a little bit around the league in terms of just his overall value off the ball. Question number three is sent in by sarcastic underscore asset. I actually really like a Kongwu's film, but all the mocks show Wiseman as the better prospect. Am I crazy to believe there's a world where a Kongwu is a better NBA player? Well, I think this question boils down to how much you actually buy into Wiseman reaching his ceiling. Uh, If you're confident that he does, I think that Wiseman will be the better prospect. Uh, But personally, uh, like sarcastic underscore asset, I think Okongwu is probably or definitely is more versatile at the moment. If that's something that you value, I I don't think it's crazy to believe this. You know, he, he may not be the physically imposing type of player that Wiseman is, or maybe the above the rim lob threat that Wiseman is. But Okongwu is still a very good athlete. I mean, I think there's a lot to like about this guy. Scrappy player in the offensive boards. Uh, He's going to score a ton as a role man. He can finish around the basket with either hand. Um, He's going to be able to protect the rim like Wiseman. But to me, he's going to give you more versatility. That's the word that I'm going to keep going back to, uh, guarding out on the perimeter. I see him more of a versatile big out there. I just feel more comfortable with what he can do consistently uh, on the next level than Wiseman. But I guess it really boils down to, do you feel that Wiseman is going to reach that ceiling that a lot of people are projecting on Wiseman? So, no, I don't think this is a crazy question at all. Yeah, agreed 100%. It's all about Wiseman's ceiling. I mean, he's 7'1 with a 7'5", 7'6", wingspan, you know, and Kongwu's 6'9", or at least he was in college. I guess we'll see what he uh, – I haven't seen anything to the, this change with right. that with measurements before the draft. But, I mean, there's just a difference in physical profile and probably a little bit in athleticism too that just that make Wiseman's 
uh, ceiling higher. I, I don't think this one's difficult. To me, I, I wouldn't, if you gave me the pick 100 times, I'd take Onyeka over Wiseman every single time. I, I, I think he's a better player. I think he's a smarter player. I think he's, I think he plays harder. I think his athleticism is probably a little bit undervalued at this point. Um, I mean, his positional versatility defensively is something that is being talked about more. But if you've been, you know, watching film for months now, you already knew this. Like, this is a really, really good player. And we've said this before on this pod, but he was playing next to a seven-footer last year at USC. So we, we really didn't even get to see everything that he can do. I love him. I think he's, I think he's an awesome prospect. I think if the Hornets picked him at three, I would say it's probably a little bit rich uh, for the third pick, but if they want a big, this is the best big in this draft, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. We are we are uh, we are all on the same accord here. I don't think it's crazy at all if you have a Kongwu ahead of Wiseman. I've had Double O as center one all season, um, and in my top five for months now. I've I've had him basically at number four uh, for 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 quite some time behind the three guards of Ball, Hayes, and. Um, and Edwards uh, has the ability to be a really active screen roll center um, with improved short roll decision making and, and usage. Um, looks like a guy that could probably step out and, and guard in space, guard multiple positions. I thought he did. I thought he had some really good games as a switch defender, including against Stanford, matched up with Tyrell Terry, who's you know top 25, 30 prospect in a, in a good guard in this draft. Um, can switch across positions, drop. Uh, there were some games you saw him even call out actions, which I thought like off-ball actions, uh, which I thought was pretty impressive from uh, Kong Wu. You know, I do worry a little bit about the size and, and the standing reach. You know, he's, he is smaller for a center, but as Spencer and Richie said, man, he's an awesome, he's an incredible athlete, great body control, flexible, great hands. I mean, his ability to just to just contort his body and catch catch passes and traffic, uh, you know, while on a dead sprint and then immediately jump up and, and finish above the rim. Super impressive. Um, really, 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 I think a special athlete at the um, the center position, even though maybe, again, he's a, he's a little bit on the smaller end. And, yeah, he was playing in a, in a negative spacing offense with guards that I don't think were very good decision makers at Southern Cal this season. Like, can you – I know he's not the shooter – nor is he the passer that, you know, Obi Toppin is, um, at least at this stage of their their careers. But, um, I mean, could you imagine a Kongwu playing, like, in the middle of Dayton's offense with all those guards and all that shooting and all that, you know, all the empty side ball screens, of which he's awesome at, by the way, uh, like, like quickly, so smooth and fluid going from screen into into his, his rim, run, rim runner dive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like he, he, his numbers at the rim were already incredible and he was doing it against defenses that were able to load up and not always in great situations, unless, you know, Andy Enfield was able to design something to get him a, you know, a good look on the baseline after timeout or whatever. So, yeah, I I mean, it's a great point too, because, you know, the way Dayton used Obi, it has a lot to do with, you know, wow. and he's older and he's been in the system for a exactly. while. The way they unlocked every single one of his strengths there. Yeah. Now, think about the guy that Anyaka has been compared to most often, Bam, yeah. which I don't think, Adebayo, I don't think that's totally fair, but Bam kind of went through the same exact thing at Kentucky yeah. that Anyaka had to go through at USC, which is, this is not what he's totally capable of doing. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff is like, well, you know, he's not a great passer. We have no idea if this guy's a good pass or not. He spent 90% of his time on the offensive end, either setting a screen rolling, which we know he's good at that, or in the dunker spot because another seven-footer who was, quote-unquote, a better passer was at the high post. We don't know what this guy can do, but what we know he can do well, he does it really, really good, and we know from the film he's a smart player. I, I just – I think if you take Wiseman over him – you, to Richie's point, you're just doing it because you believe in his ceiling. That's it, because he's not the better basketball player right now. That, that can't be true. What do you think the swing skill is for a Kongwu? Is it the passing? Is it the mid-range shot? Like What what would be that one skill where if he doesn't develop it, it, it he probably would fall below Wiseman in the long, t- long term? What do you think? I, I'm interested what you think here, BG, but I think it's the passing. I, yeah. I, I don't think a Kongwu like, projects ever really as a, as a pick-and-pop kind of shooter i mean the little the little we have on him as a shooter doesn't it looks like he has a ways to go but if he can catch the ball at the high post face up beat you off the dribble and duck in your face or hit cutters now your offense is like 
top 10 NBA offense. So I think that's his swing skill. I, I agree. And just to build off that, like it's the passing playmaking and, and it's the short role playmaking too, which, which I sort of mentioned a second ago. Um, I thought there were some, some possessions last season. I mean, again, he didn't get a lot of short role opportunities, but I thought he showed some good stuff in the short role on sometimes I thought he was a little slow and, but even then wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't force anything. He would just sort of get it, kick it back out and look to set another, another set another ball screen. Um, you know, shooting is such a big, is a swing skill for literally everyone. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like we we always can go into these conversations with, with talking about shooting as being important. It, it, it's the cure all for so many players, but yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, assuming that he is able to be a plus defender, despite the fact that he's a little bit smaller, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is, that is one thing to keep, to keep an eye on, but yeah, it's, it's where he is as a, you know, can he do more than just be a finisher offensively? Um, it's, you know, is how you unlock uh, way more out of this guy aside from being just you know a one you know a one five pick and roll dive guy. Yeah, I think to your point, Brian, about being six nine and not as physically imposing on the defensive side, and you, you do worry about that. But one thing you don't have to worry about with the Kongu is his positioning and just rotating right on time, and his leaping ability makes up for the fact that he might be a little bit undersized at the center position. But I think I would agree with you guys in terms of the passing, and, and I think that's why. A lot of people are hoping that he turns into a BAM, you know, operate at the high post and and, and make some passes and decision-making and and get more comfortable out there. So here's a follow-up question uh, that deals with double O here. At Caleb T underscore Smith, how do you think our chances of being able to trade down a couple spots to get a Kongu are? Uh, Spencer, I'm going to let you lead this off because really my only thoughts on this is if you feel like a Kongu is your guy, risking trading back even if you're trying to pick up extra assets sometimes is a difficult proposition to make there yeah it is it is and then not only that but i mean just like when you go look at the draft board you're like all right chicago at four they don't need a center cleveland at five they probably don't need a center i mean i think they might try to trade drummond so maybe they do but on paper it doesn't look like it atlanta doesn't they just traded for one detroit doesn't i think they're going to try to re-sign christian wood New York doesn't. They think they have their center of the future. Um, so you, then the next team is Washington. So now you're trading all the way down to nine. I I think it would be difficult. Um, I think Boston is the obvious team that would be looking for some help in the middle right now. Uh, and, yes, I get it. They have three first-round draft picks. But I, I'll be honest, I'd rather just have a Kongwu draft him at three than trade for – even if I'm getting 14, 26, 30 – and Robert Williams, which is a really uh, creative trade idea that yep. was that was uh, mentioned on our Slack channel, Richie, earlier today. I think that's a real creative trade. I'd still rather just have a Kongwu. I don't want like I don't want fourteen, twenty six, and thirty because probability on paper would tell me from historical data in the draft that two of those picks, two of those guys won't be in the league five years from now. That one of them probably won't make it through their first contract in the NBA, and then Robert Williams. We don't have a lot on him yet, but we do have enough to suggest he's a backup center in the league probably. Yeah. So how is that package worth what we're saying Okongwu is as a player? Yeah. I mean, we've been kicking around that Boston possibility in some shape or form for months now. Right. I mean, sure, yeah. we've been, we've been circling that one for a while. One of the, one of the possibilities that I, that I did think of and something I was actually going to mention later in, in the podcast. And again, this is, I think the, the the probability of this is low. Like I think Charlotte's just going to use this pick on at three. I think we all have been again sort of in agreement on that for a while now. But what if what if Lamelo Ball falls to three, and let's just say Charlotte doesn't want to take Lamelo Ball for whatever reason? Now I think that would be a mistake. But let's just say that's the case. Brian, and, you're higher on Ball than, than Spencer and I. Yes, I mean, that's been the case for for months now, but let's just say this is what happens, and the New York Knicks are looking at themselves. They're they're not going to do this Chris Paul trade that apparently there's a deal on the table for between Oklahoma City and and New York, as as, um, people were were reporting on and commentating on literally earlier this week. But let's say they really want LaMelo Ball. Um, I don't know if there's a guarantee that LaMelo, that Yeka Kongwu would be available at eight. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no guarantee, but that would be one of those things. You know, if the, if the, if New York came to you and said, Hey, for pick three, we'll give you eight and we'll give you 
you know, we'll basically give you back the two second round picks you sent to us for Willie Aaron and Gomez. So we're going to give you 38 in this year's draft and the 2021 second rounder. That That is your pick. We're just going to give it back to you. So it's going to be a pretty good second round pick. Or if it was, you know, pick for pick three, it was pick eight from this year in the first round, plus a 2020 second rounder um, from Charlotte or a 2021 uh, going back to Charlotte, I should say. So these are picks that belong to New York. But if it was, the 2020 second rounder from Charlotte, this is pick 38 this season, going back to the Hornets and or, you know, potentially a the 2021 first round pick from the Clippers that, I mean, it's not a great asset. It's going to be a super late first round pick, but that New York got from uh-huh. Marcus Morris. Now that's a lot of moving parts on the fly on the night. I mean, again, all of this contingent on like LaMelo ball falling to three, which I think there's the, the odds of that are, aren't high. But I think they're, that that's like one scenario. I mean, maybe the Pistons at seven, but I, I don't I, I don't think so. But those are the two teams that I was like, I, I could maybe see them possibly other two top 10 lottery teams that I could see maybe being interested in moving up. Um, New York is sort of the obvious one, but I don't think they're going to be interested in doing that unless they know LaMelo Ball is there at three. I mean, I don't think they're going to be doing that for James Wiseman, obviously, especially when they have Mitchell Robinson or Anthony Edwards. But, um, but yeah, that was sort of the one possible hypothetical that popped into my mind. Again, I think the, I think Detroit could do something too. And all of that could be irrelevant if New York actually trades for Chris Paul. Like, then they're probably not going to try to, they're, you know, they're not going to be in the market for LaMelo Ball. Yeah. I, so I, that's an interesting trade proposal. I, I just still think that that's not enough to yeah. get you to three, even in this draft. Yeah. Um, which is, which is another point of just like, I, I think Charlotte probably stands, stands pat with this pick on top of like teams just aren't like, they need to know what the salary cap is, right? Like they need to know other things that, that in, yeah. inform these decisions. So I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of action draft night. Um, yeah. I, I just, I think Charlotte, and again, going back to the last episode, they should have their homework done. They should know who they like. They should know who they don't like. They should be continuing to smoke screen, flow out rumors, which I kind of feel like is going on right now, and good by them, to see what they can get. I, I think they need to be blown away to trade this pick, even in a weak draft. I, I think that has to be your stance. You have the number three pick. Yeah. Take you know, Pick somebody that you believe in. Yeah. Um, it, unless you get blown away. And, and just I've seen a lot of trade ideas and nothing I have seen so far has been like, yeah, I think Charlotte should definitely do that. So I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. Back to what I previously said. I, if you like a Kongwu and you're attempted to trade back to number eight, like Brian proposed, I like, I mean, I don't dislike the trade that Brian just proposed, but then if a Kongwu doesn't fall to eight, then that, that now I dislike the trade. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now you're drafting, you know, Isaac Okoro or Kyra Lewis or whatever, right. which like they're prospects that I like a lot, but yeah, the, if the purpose of this deal was to pick up an asset and draft a Kongwu later, it's just risky and right. probably not a realistic right. possibility. And, and I think if that pick, sorry, Richie, I think if that, that Clippers pick was like could potentially fall into even the late lottery in a future yeah. draft, I would be like, all right, can, can we have two minutes to talk about this? Just because it's the Clippers pick that's going to be late first round and probably mean mm-hmm. nothing, yeah. it's just not It's just not worth it, you know? Do you think all of the young players on New York's roster are untouchable? They're not. On, none of them are probably untouchable, but it's like there's no way in hell. Again, I don't think this would happen. But what if, what if New York said the number eight pick, R.J. Barrett, and um, – you know, like the, the second round picks or what, you know, two second round picks or whatever. I, I don't think, think they would, I don't think they would do that, but if they, if they, if that were offered, I would be interested, but I, I don't think they're interested in trading RJ Barrett at the moment. I, I don't, I don't see that at all as a realistic possibility. I'm just throwing it out. Yeah. I, I doubt they are either, but let's think about it this way. RJ Barrett, probably the number one pick in this yeah, draft. I think so. So, I mean, like if you're looking at it from just like a pure value perspective and say, Hey, let's just throw out RJ Barrett's, you know, first year, get them in a different city. I would think about that one a little bit more. Probably yeah. still wouldn't do it, but R.J. Barrett, off the sample we had at Duke from the season before, he'd be the number one pick in this draft. Yeah, I think you could still – yeah, probably. I think so. I think so. I, I think there – I, I think there's a chance I would still be trying to make a case for Lamelo, but, uh, <laughs> but, but Barrett um, – and it's tough to sort of like – his rookie season was weird. Some good, a lot of bad, but yeah. I, I still like sort of like – I still like sort of – think rj barrett is going to be a decent nba player i'm um, with you i do too maybe not, maybe not, maybe not, a, maybe not a primary guy though you know yeah. um, right. 
His but, shooting numbers yeah. this this past season weren't weren't great. And uh, no, to your not. point, Brian, I don't think anyone's untouchable in that roster. But I think mm-hmm. Barrett and maybe to a lesser extent Mitchell Robinson are the ones that they probably mm-hmm. would have a harder time giving up. Of course, um, yeah, of course. So let's go on to the next question. And Brian, you kind of touched upon this because this is a situation that could very well happen in, in Charlotte's case. Uh, this is coming from at Kemba twenty twenty. Reports have been coming out. And I, I, I want to even say it's from Rick Bunnell that LaMelo has not been performing well in job interviews. Uh, if Wiseman and Edwards are off the board, uh, do you guys think there's a chance Hornets pass on LaMelo? Um, I actually do think this is a possibility. We we're kind of just talking about this. And the scenario to me, I know that Brian probably doesn't think it's as real. I, I do think it could give Cupcheck some pause here if LaMelo's sitting there at number three. I don't think it's a no-brainer pick, and in my mind, uh, I think they would have to sit on it. One of the drawbacks with ball, at least kind of the perception that people think of when you think of a ball, has always been the maturity issues, just the outside stuff that surrounds him, and, and what you're getting into when you draft this guy. So I'm not really sure what to make of these reports. I'm not even sure if they are true. Uh, they very well could just be a smokescreen. Um but it would make sense to me that he is not performing well in interviews out of you know the top handful of guys uh, in this draft. If he was sitting there with Wiseman and Edwards off the board, I could see Mitch Kupchak. You know, there's been strong links with the Kongu. I, I can just see Kupchak going with Double O and passing on Lamelo, or maybe entertaining trade offers like you guys mentioned. Um, do you guys believe in these reports that Lamelo is falling down boards? No, I no. think this is this is probably <laughs> smoke and. And I, I mean, that was kind of my first instinct when I saw this report from Bonnell and, and to your point, Richie, it, it, there, you could see it other places too, but J- Javoni and Smets were on with, uh, with Windhorse on a pod earlier this week and kind of were, were both like, where could this possibly be coming from? Um, he hasn't, <laughs> how would other people know, uh, well-informed folks know that he'd been in a lot of, you know, in, in many interviews and not done well. I mean, the last thing we heard was that Minnesota was going to go sit down with him and see him. And then every team in the top four was going to, and, and I, I doubt that all four of those teams have had the opportunity to do so yet. So this seems like, this seems like your atypical um, smoke uh, before a draft pick. Yeah. And it should be, it's just, it is interesting if this were actually true and I'm not, I'm not buying it necessarily, like LaMelo has more media experience than any of these dudes in the draft. Right. I mean, this guy's had a camera in front of his face since he was 13 <laughs> years old, you know? So like he should like the doing zoom calls with NBA executives shouldn't like cause this guy to like freeze up or, or do it. Or, like he should be coached up and ready to, to handle these things. All of these guys should, you know? So, um, yeah, I will not. say what, what, what that thing he did with Mike Smith and, and most prospects do it. They sit down, they watch film together. Like Lamelo definitely has the uh, uh, how do I don't carefully choose my words here. He he's not going to show a whole lot of interest in what you think about his game and 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 what you think he needs to improve in. And like it's just not his personality, and that's very clear from the few things that are out there that you can watch about him. And so like. Knowing that, it could be true. I could see somebody right. interviewing him be like, all right, look, if this is what you're going to act like all the time or like this is the first impression you give us, then why should we draft you? I think Lamelo's just like he doesn't care about that stuff. And, and that's kind of what we know about uh, <laughs> this family dating back for a while now, so that's not like totally shocking. But in terms of this, these reports, I think this is just smoke. But, but they're not totally crazy either, is, is my point. So, All right, last question uh, from Ethan underscore core. How significant is this? And in the tweet, he shows a picture of Anthony Edwards live on IG with a Hornets shirt on. So I think this tells us everything we need to know. I think Edwards is, is slotted for the Hornets at number three. It's pretty <laughs> much confirmed. So I love it, though. I, I love to see that, that shirt that he's wearing. It's interesting why he would be on Instagram live and and kind of posing in that shirt so it, he's probably just trying to get people talking yeah i mean when funny. mj saw him work out too i think he yeah. went to yeah. so that's probably i'm assuming that's where he got this yeah. gear yeah um but but yeah i mean you're right richie there's we'll see him in a in a hornets media day jersey here in three weeks yeah 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 <laughs> i mean yeah it's not it's not all that significant other than 
clearly like he's on Charlotte's radar. There's been, you know, he, he everyone saw the photo of, of Anthony Edwards and Michael Jordan talking. Um, I, has he worked out with the team? Did that, did that happen? Or did, was there some sort of meeting or anything? Cause if, if that happened, it'd be like, it'd be a no brainer for them to give him some gear. Right. You know, this, this is like what happens at all of these pre-draft things when we're not amidst a global pandemic. And I'll say this too, like uh, just in my own little corner of the universe here in, in Raleigh and as someone that has through work and through just growing up and being around ACC basketball, uh, had to cover a fair amount of recruiting. Yeah, guys take visits and they get gear. You know, like I can pull up photos of Bam Adebayo in NC State gear, you know, before he went to Kentucky. Um, this stuff happens, you know, and, and there's even less autonomy for all these players because they're going to get drafted by whichever team takes them, you know? So um, I don't th- I, I don't think it's all that significant, but it just does confirm that, yeah, there's he's a great prospect and they're a team with a top three pick. So, of course, there's mutual interest. It just reminded me of uh, Anthony Davis. He was wearing that that Charlotte Hornets hat. Like, wasn't it like the the year that he was drafted uh, by New Orleans? I believe so. Uh, yeah. What could have been, man? What could have been? There's just so, like this is the year uh, that we know so little about. You know what's going on pre-draft and who's seen who and what these measurements are. And I mean, like a little bit trickles out here and there, but it's not. Uh, the information is not as, as publicly and readily available as it has been in the past, or at least that's been my experience. So yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, the key is, can we get the players and the owners to agree on something? Because I think that would, um, that would make a lot of things more transparent yeah. uh, before draft night. Like, like I would, I would trust some of the rumors more than then. But now it's just like, how can anything be true? Because there's so much uncertainty, even if Team X was interested in trading with the Hornets to get to, to, to the third pick. I mean, there's just so much financial uncertainty until we have this agreement. I, I can't think any of it's anything but smoke right now. These, uh, these tweets came out while, like, literally within the last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get a full reaction. As you guys may have seen, Shams tweeted some stuff out. Uh, according to sources, the, the NBPA will vote as soon as Thursday on the NBA 72 game, December 22nd proposal, growing belief around players is that Christmas week start is inevitable. Um, NBA and NBA PA are deciding between two 2020-2021 season scenarios, one being the December 22nd start that we all uh, have known, and we recorded a podcast on this last week. But 72 games, regular season ends mid-May, finals around July 22nd, plus Christmas revenue. And then the second scenario, January 18th, Uh, 60 games, regular season ends in June, finals around August 21st. Um, And the NBA and the NBA PA are negotiating player salary escrow, a three-year holding period with league desiring 25% and NBA PA proposing 15%. So that all all that stuff just came out um, within the last, um, last half hour here. Obviously, I'm not an NBA player, but as 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 a watcher, I would I would just prefer the December 22nd start date there, and you know, not it's a it's a month difference, but like again, we don't want to keep pushing the the end of the schedule farther and farther back because again, we're trying to get this back on on pace here, and if you're ending yeah. August 21st, then next off season is going to be shortened by a month. So you got you got to cut it out, cut it off on one end or the other here. And I just think you just start a month earlier. Um, obviously, you're the the workload, the game load is going to be heavier, but also you get the revenue from from Christmas Day there. Yeah, and not only that too, but if you do the January start, you know, bye bye the the guys playing in the Olympics, like that's off the yeah. table. Assuming the Olympics are going to happen in 2021, I mean that you know who knows what the world looks like in eight or nine months. Plus, um, yeah, what happens to salaries just in general too? Uh, if you reduce, as opposed to guys playing 82 games, they're playing 60. You know, all of a sudden, a, a pretty big chunk of the normal allotted salary is is uh is gone like it's just it's i don't know it's um if there's either way people are losing some losing out on cash you know one way or the other it just depends on how big of how big the hit's gonna be right exactly and and i'm sure the players have asked to see that math those calculations the nba has come out with to say if we don't start before christmas and get those christmas games and play 72 games and get done before the olympics late june we're going to lose between 500 million and a billion dollars. If that is true, mm-hmm. I, 
I would be floored if the players walked away from that. I, I would be I would be floored, and, and there would have to be a serious concession if that were the case. And we started in January, which doesn't exist. If these are what the NBA's you know financial experts and attorneys are telling them, this is going to get done. I think this is just probably posturing right now, and and your you know your your run of the mill negotiating. But Agreed. man, if they walk away from this, it'll be very it'll be very interesting, yeah. and it's going to hurt future generations of NBA players too. That should be it, mentioned. And it's pretty obvious too. I mean, none of these, neither of these proposed final dates are like what we're sort of accustomed to, which is like you know just when right when you get past Memorial Day early June, boom, finals hit. But it's pretty obvious that, like, the league doesn't want – I mean, in either of these scenarios, it's not like the finals wouldn't be taking place in the fall or October or whatever. But I don't think the league would necessarily like to be starting the finals in late August um, and then all of a sudden running into potentially the start of college football, maybe the NFL or whatever too. But just, like, ratings for the finals, unfortunately, and I was disappointed to see it, they, like, they weren't great. And – um I think part of that was the conflict with other sports. Part of it was just like, it was at a weird time of the year. Yeah. And then I do think some of that, you know, leading into the, the finals, just, you know, the seeding games and the playoffs, because the numbers for some stuff isolated were pretty good with certain target demographics. But, but, uh, but yeah, I just think people are on vacation and maybe less likely to even have the TV on too. So that's another aspect. Yeah. Especially in a non COVID world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. All right, everyone. <laughs> thanks again for joining us for another buzz beat. We will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.